if you're just starting out, I recommend even before underwriting deals, especially if you're looking in a market that's outside your own, touch base with the property management company first. Look at reviews, ask for references from the current clients, and try to meet with as many property managers in your market as possible. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is going to help you as an operator to think through the relationship you need to have with your property manager. And when does that need to happen? What information should you be discussing and when should you be discussing it? It's coming today because it's an important process that's typically done wrong. Our guest today is Alex Rogers. He's a principal of Gray Duck Companies. Alex studied economics and finance at the University of Minnesota. Uh, Along with a longtime business partner, Frank Rush, Alex began building a portfolio of real estate assets in the northern Minnesota market and soon expanded into multi-market investments. He has also received his Master of Science degree in real estate. Alex is a CCIM, a certified commercial investment member. Alex, welcome to the show. Honored to have you on. I know you have vast experience level in this business. I mean, doing lots of things and you all have an operating business very internally, uh, just integrated where you're doing lots of parts of the business. And I know today we want to focus on something you are an expert in that I know the, the operators that are listening need to be perking their ears up. So we're going to be talking about today that you've learned and you're going to share with us. But tell the listeners a little more about who you are and your business. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the invite. Well, my business partner and I started in real estate in two. 2009, fresh out of college, we slowly built our own residential real estate portfolio, primarily single families, duplexes, smaller multifamilies, slowly grew that and self-managed at the time. While we were building our portfolio, we were learning the systems as we went. Uh, We didn't really have property management background before. So we kind of learned as we went, built processes, systems, built our team. And then by the time 2014 came around, we were approached by a number of different colleagues in the market, others asking for help. And we had launched East West Property Management at that time to facilitate the services for our own portfolio, but for others in our marketplace as well. And to that point, we're located in Duluth, Minnesota and Minneapolis, Minnesota, primarily focused on Midwest markets. As we continue to grow, we expanded our offerings. We built a construction team. We have an asset management team. And in 2021, we completed our first syndication, a 112 unit portfolio deal in Duluth, Minnesota. And in five days at the end or middle of July here, we close on our, our next deal, an 84 unit apartment building in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Good for you. Yeah, thanks. Congratulations. That's incredible. You know, I, I self-managed my first couple of triplexes that I bought many years ago. And man, did I learn a lot the hard way. <laughs> Not a good experience, you know, in some senses. I mean, in another sense, I mean, I learned a lot, right? And it paid a lot forward. But, I, you know, you all didn't give up. I would imagine you all learned a lot as well. You hung in there as far as, you know, on the management side. And now you've even growing that side of the business. Uh, would you recommend others do that? You know, self-manage in the beginning? Uh, or would you recommend, hey, that's, that's kind of a recipe for disaster for most people, you probably shouldn't do it. Or what do you think? I think it kind of depends on where you are in your life and where you're starting out and what assets you want to target. We were fresh out of college. So we really had a hustle both to uh, make ends meet, selling real estate by day, and then to facilitate the maintenance and repairs on our small and growing uh, real estate portfolio at the same time. So we were well equipped to focus on both, but other individuals, depending on where they are in life, may not be uh, set to jump right into the management aspect. So having a really solid third-party property manager can go a long way. Yeah. I think it's a great answer because it would be very specific to the person. I think if you are just out of college, you probably had more time than say the the guy who's already got 
four or five kids at home, right? Or other businesses, or maybe he's uh, got a full-time job that he's very involved in as well. Or obviously this could go all over the place, you know, as far as who who's a fit. But to speak to how that grew. I know you said, hey, you all must have done a good job with your own projects. And then other people were asking you, hey, could you come manage ours? Uh, what was the next uh, step in saying, you know what? I think we could do this at a bigger scale, you know, and do this well, uh, and even for other people. Sure. Our market is a smaller market, first rate market. And at the time that we started out, there were not too many competent property management firms in our market. There were one or two really strong firms. So there was a need for it. And most of our market was probably self-managed as well. So as a lot of the property owners started to age out and not want to deal with the hassles of managing their own property, they really didn't have too many folks to turn to. And luckily that's where we were able to step in and provide our services. Our portfolio was able to grow pretty quick on the third party and on the own side. But along the way, you know, since day one, we've made plenty of mistakes too. And that was our tuition. That was how we learned and grew and tried to provide better services to our clients and our own portfolio at the same time. No, that's awesome. Well, let's jump on in a little bit. I know that as you're growing a management business, you know, you're dealing with other people or other operators, right? Uh, I want you to speak to them, the operators that are listening, you know, that are looking at that third party management company and thinking through that process of working together. Uh, and we, we talked about different aspects of that on the show, but I, I think it's helpful from the perspective you were talking about before we even got started, uh, just about, man, when should I even communicate with my management company? How involved should they be before you even go under contract? Uh, even some of the timings of, of those things. Let's dive into that a little bit. Just that process that you'd like to see as you're the third party manager you know, working with this person who's maybe going to manage or buy a bunch of projects, but hey, you know, you all need to be more involved. I think we're uniquely positioned with our background in property management to understand this maybe more than others. If you're just starting out, I recommend even before underwriting deals, especially if you're looking in a market that's outside your own, touch base with the property management company first. Look at reviews, ask for references from the current clients, and try to meet with as many property managers in your market as possible. You can get a lot of insight from deals you're underwriting, areas to look at from that resource. And really, they're going to be a part of the team. They'll help you from day one underwrite, tell you what's going to be feasible for like a renovation perspective, uh, from the tenant base perspective, if your aftermarket rents are going to be consistent with reality in the market, they're going to be your advocate because they want that project to succeed as well. So touching base with a property management company day one before you even start looking at assets is probably a good idea. Unfortunately, it's all too often that we hear that operators are reaching out to property management companies after they have a deal under contract or you know shortly before they close, which recipe for disaster. You know, it's interesting you bring out, I think it's so crucial too, like often we forget that, hey, that management company, they oftentimes can have such a better understanding of the market, right? You know, what's happening with rents? What, what should this cost right now to turn these units? There's a good chance they're already turning many other units, right? Or, you know, I mean, they're just consistently thinking about what rents should be compared to all the other properties they're managing. It's such an insight that oftentimes as the operator, you may not have until you've grown to a pretty good scale. Exactly. They might have managed two assets next door to the one that you're looking at. And if their rents are 1500 bucks a month and you're thinking, 18, 19, well, there might be a disconnect there. Yeah. Speak to that uh, communication there as far as how much should they ask the management company as far as like, here's my underwriting. Could you help me look at that? Should we expect the management company to have that skill set looking at underwriting or should it be more simple? Hey, here's what we expect rents. H how do you just think through that as far as what to share and advice to gain from them? Yeah, that's a good question. I think more over the last five, 10 years, property management companies have started to blur the line almost for like asset management companies to help develop the plan to 
see what's reasonable to execute for the business plan. A number of property management companies won't you know, provide the complete underwriting, but they'll provide their assumptions, their guidance in terms of what's a acceptable range or a practical range for a number of your different assumptions for vacancy, for aftermarket rent or after renovation rents. They're probably not going to get too much in detail in terms of cap rates or expected disposition cap rates, any of that stuff, but they can definitely be your resource to make sure your underwriting is in the realm of reality. Yeah, no, that's awesome. What about just, okay, now, you know, we've had the conversations, we've talked about some of the expectations uh, that the management company would expect or rent growth, whatever it may be, you know, those things are expenses, right? And then, you know, we get a deal under contract. Speak to the communication then as far as, you know, we get the deal under contract between then and closing. Sure. Uh, There's a number of items that have to occur during that due diligence time period before you close on the asset, including onboarding, assuming that the management company isn't currently managing the asset, but you would have to onboard that whole property into that management company's systems. And a lot of times that property management company will provide you with the checklist and the resources that they're required to do it well. They can certainly be helpful in terms of auditing leases with you to make sure that those rent roles align with uh, what the leases are stating. They can help you with you know certain financial components like we discussed, underwriting what expenses they you know the property should be operating at versus what it's actually operating at today to see if there's any room for uh, improvements or efficiencies. And then obviously coordinating the walkthroughs, the unit walks, making sure that you walk through every unit. And a lot of times they'll help with the inspection process, but uh, you probably want to outsource that as well. Okay. So you said they, they'll help with the walkthrough, but you want to outsource it as well. So you might have both. Speak to that. What does that mean if I'm going to outsource that? Well, property condition assessments, we're working through with a outside general contractor or inspector alongside the property management team, making sure that those different connections are are aligned when you do that walk. Okay. What about, uh, you know, many boots on the ground that have to be there, right? To get through that process. Obviously, you know, once you close, uh, the work's just begun, you know, right? Just getting started. Uh, and so talk about, you know, just planning a little bit, right? You know, we're going through the process of closing. Hopefully during that time, we're talking about our business plan for this project, right? What, what's our expectations here? Who do we need involved with this? What else should we be thinking about like after closing uh, that we're prepared, you know, we're preparing for? Yeah, I think it's critical to have different milestones with hard due dates, to make sure our expectations are in alignment. A lot of times operators will close on the project and then be silenced. They're not going to coordinate different calls. So you want to make sure that you have, you know, weekly touch points, or if it's a a part of the renovation plan that really has many different segments, maybe even like daily touch points, ensure that the few different actions or executions happen on time, but making sure that you have some cadence of weekly touch points between all active parties, so property management, construction, asset management, to ensure that the business plan is being executed in accordance with the timeline requirement. And, you know, within budget too, obviously. Yeah, within budget. For every track in that, right? What do you prefer to see the communication look like after closing? Maybe the cadence, and how often, and, and what does that look like? Most of the time, right after closing, you're having communications, meetings weekly, especially during the high energy part of the business plan execution. After the property stabilizes and after you're out of the, the business plan execution portion, you're going to be uh, maybe falling back to a monthly touch point uh, when you provide their different reporting and different KPIs. But definitely when you're thick of, you know, especially if you're doing unit renovations and leasing up from the previous stabilized property, definitely weekly. Is there a way that you like to, you know, share information through the week, even, you know, say with that owner or, you know, or that team that you're managing for, is there like a way that you all share documents or is there a way that, I don't know, just information is shared or communicated even outside of meetings? A lot of times, a 
lot of these standard financial statements, reporting documents that we go through are just automatically generated at whatever cadence we decide. Rent rolls, lease up reports, showing uh, reports to kind of see where the activity is on the leasing side. Those automatically generate through our property management system. But for more of the detailed aspects regarding, you know, maybe a rebranding or unit renovations or community renovations, uh, we'll have a number of different reports from the GCs or the subs or our asset management team, just with maybe not too much detail, but just generalizations in terms of where we are in our timeline. You know, are we on pace or off pace to meet our, our milestones that we set before we close on the property? Um, and if anything is off of pace, off pace, we're going to see, well, why is that? And how do we resolve that? Who are you communicating with on the team? You know, as a property manager, who should be your point of contact, you know, on the owner's side? A lot of times it's going to be that contact that's set up for asset management. Usually it's one person. A lot of times it's maybe the whole asset management team or the whole GP team. For us, we prefer one. That way we don't have to, you know, repeat ourselves, uh, which occasionally can happen. Get a call for one contact, then a call for the second. And we go through this exact same stuff. Time is valuable for everybody. So uh, we usually like one contact on the asset management team. Speak to the role of the asset manager, you know, versus the property management company. I think that's kind of a, a transition that a lot of companies go through, right? I know we did. It's like we're growing, we're growing. We're trying to do all the asset management while we're trying to do all the other stuff, you know, in the business as well. And then all of a sudden it gets to a point where it's like, man, you know, it's really difficult for us to be the asset manager, right? Uh, and then we finally, you know, hire somebody, right? Full time that is that point of contact. But speak to the difference there because I think that it's, it's not always clear for a lot of groups you know, when you're getting started. It wasn't for us initially uh, anyway, uh, but property management versus asset management and, and you know, in those two roles. Yeah, no, great question. And like I mentioned today, those two roles are getting blurred more and more. We see a lot of property management companies starting to take on partial roles that an asset manager would usually play, overseeing certain aspects of a business plan execution, coordinating more detail than ever with renovation plans that a property might undertake. But really the asset manager's goal is to be that representative for the ownership to make sure that the macro level items are making the timeline that they requested or required up front so that the unit renovations are happening at the cadence that they're supposed to make sure that leasing is hitting the different benchmarks that they're supposed to. Whereas property managers can oftentimes kind of find themselves in the weeds focusing so heavily on, uh, you know, leasing or tenant communications or tenant relationship building um, and engaging with that community where they may not be as focused with more of the higher macro level benchmarks that have to be hit for that business plan to succeed and for the project to be a success. It's just helpful. I think if we had thought through it earlier, we should, we should have hired faster for that position, I think. Right. It would have helped us to, I think, uh, manage better. Right. Or, or at least ask better questions. You know, having somebody that's more involved, uh, you know, in the operations, you know, of the properties than we, I mean, we tried. But but still, it's like, man, when you're trying to hire other people and manage a business and raise money and look for deals, and, you know, it, it's hard to be a good asset manager. Right. And especially as your portfolio scales. You know, one of the best decisions we did when we hired that out. I agree. It can be a huge challenge. Yeah. You have to definitely have. You don't want to expand bandwidth so much for an asset manager that they can't focus on or reach the milestones that they need to for each project. So scaling appropriately for asset management can definitely be a challenge. And a lot of times, asset managers default to provide more autonomy to the property management company, which couldn't be good or couldn't be bad depending on the strength of that property management company. Well, Alex, you know, knowing what you know now, you know, you, you started with a smaller multifamily, you were self-managing, you grew, you know, now you, you are syndicating, buying larger projects, and your management company's growing as well. If you could talk to yourself when you were first thinking about real estate, like, what would you say? You know what, hey, Alex, like you do this instead, or you need to know this thing. What would that be? 
it would have been not to pass on the deals I did for like the last five to seven years where our underwriting didn't pencil out. The guys behind us, you know, paid a higher premium and just knocked it out of the park. You know, we missed out on numerous doubles, triples, home runs, really, because we didn't expect the market to exceed, you know, kind of what it's done. We're not really changing our underwriting practices. We're still going to be very conservative with it, but yeah, we would have been much more active than we were. That's you and hundreds of thousands of other people, right? No way to have known for sure, right? But, but I appreciate you even mentioning, hey, you know what? We're still sticking to what we know works, right? We're, whatever conservative means to you, like you're, you're still sticking to those things that hey, we're not uh, uh, going crazy because of what we should have done two years ago or three, you know, a year ago, even uh, no doubt. So important, you know, and in that train of thought, do you, do you have any predictions for the next six to 12 months in the real estate market or, or maybe ways that you are, you know, changing what you're doing or buying or selling or anything? Uh, predictions. I expect there'd be a number of great opportunities for the prudent operator. Those that had done the underwriting for the last five or six years with cap rates compressed seen might be in some trouble in the future here. We expect there to be a great opportunity, especially for those that may have debt or targeting deals where the debt structure originally may not have been all that advantageous for changing debt, uh, debt markets. So we see a really great time to acquire more assets in the next 18 months, just due to the volatility in the debt markets. Yeah. Have some capital ready, right? Exactly. Otherwise, our underwriting staying the same. We're still underwriting expanding cap rates. Vacancy that is higher than you know currently held and being pretty conservative on our aftermarket or after renovation market rents. As an operator, it's interesting, you know, you're an operator and a property manage- manager. So it's neat that you you get to see both sides of that, but you also get to see the way numerous people operate. And there's, some, there's a lot of value in that, I think as well, right? You're getting to learn from numerous projects uh, that aren't even yours yet, you know, right? You know, as you are learning and, and growing and, and operating, how do you prepare for a downturn? Or how do you ensure you're prepared? Or maybe even how you see other operators Operators that you're managing for, you know, how are they preparing? But ultimately, what have you learned from that? And how, how do you know you're prepared if there's this downturn, you know, in the next year or whatever? Yeah. And I don't know if downturn might be a bit strong, but there's going to be some challenges. Vacancy or delinquency might increase economic and physical vacancy might become a challenge. Not terrible, like the Great Recession, but underwriting 2% credit loss and, and vacancy, I don't think is going to meet the realm of reality. So how we prepare is to make sure that we look for assets at cash flow. We're cash flow investors. We look for yield. We don't bake on that market appreciation that the asset might have in you know, five years. We really look for the, the cash flow from an asset. And then the other structure is pretty consistent with many other operators looking for strong fixed rate, long-term debt that buys us time if anything happens to the markets. That's our general strategy. What's your best source for meeting new investors right now? Our network, our existing investors are usually our best referral for other new investors. We network a lot. We go to different events, but to find our passive investors, they usually find us, quite frankly. How are you, or is there a way that you're promoting that to your current investors, like asking them for referrals or how are you encouraging them? I mean, we, we ask every now and then, but I think it starts with being really transparent and communicating frequently. The more we communicate about our existing deals or what we're looking for, or just how we operate, builds a lot of transparency and trust in our organization. And they all know individuals that could use some help on you know their wealth planning. And we love talking to new investors about that. Many of our investors have never invested in private real estate through syndications before. So uh, it's an educational process for, for them most of the time. And we really enjoy talking about that. What are some of the most important metrics that you track? It could be personally or, or professionally, either one. Personally, I think habits are pretty critical to grow in a personal manner. I have different metrics I like to hit each week uh, from how much water I consume to go on the gym at 5 a.m. each morning, just making sure I keep building and expanding on my habits in a positive manner. 
manner, from a professional manner, for a property management company, there's numerous, you know, unique KPIs for tracking, you know, rent per square foot to vacancy, different occupancy metrics. From an asset management perspective, we generally look at, you know, the milestones that we're hitting to execute our business plan on time and on budget, um, as well as, you know, a lot of times looking at rent to make sure that we're we're hitting our rent expectations. Speaking of habits, I, I agree. I think habits are crucially important. Uh, but what are some daily habits that you are disciplined about that have helped you achieve success or produce the highest return for you? I think it starts with in the gym first in the morning. I don't need to take down three or four cups of coffee just to function in the morning. Going to the gym gives me that natural high. I'm most effective from 6 a.m. to about 2 p.m. After 2 p.m. is usually when I schedule maybe my less important meetings of the day. So I focus on the really core task items I have to accomplish each day between 6 and 2 p.m. And after that, it's uh, maybe less important after that. Yeah, I think it's just important that you know that, you know, like, and you're being purposeful about how you're scheduling meetings based on that as well. I think that can be very helpful, especially just over a long period of time. Uh, what about the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Surrounding myself with people that are smarter than me. I've said it before. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. You continually want to grow, learn more. You learn something new every day about asset management, property management, how to be a better operator, how to be a better communicator, just a better person. That's my number one piece of advice to everybody is just keep growing and surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. They'll just rub off and provide better resources for you. And how do you like to give back? I'm very passionate about animal welfare. I sit on the board and numerous uh, committees for our local Animal Humane Society. Awesome. Well, Alex, pleasure to meet you and have you on the show and just a valuable conversation to think through. Hey, if you're buying a project, if you're an operator and you're going to use third-party management, you need to be having these conversations, right? You know, to think about when we should be communicating, how involved should the management company be? Uh, and then even, you know, are, do we even know what those milestones are afterwards, right? Or KPIs we're trying to hit? What's that communication need to look like? Who are we talking to? All those things that, that uh, you shared with us today. I'm grateful for that. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Certainly. You guys can reach me by email, A-L-E-X at grayduck.co, G-R-A-Y-D-U-C-K.co. Or you can check us out on our website at grayduckcapital.com. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.